0: The following sermon is by Dr. Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Josh. One of the foundational pillars of advertising is the phrase, you deserve. Much of advertising works that way. You deserve a break. You deserve a vacation. You deserve less stress. You deserve more appreciation. You deserve to splurge on yourself. You deserve some me time. Underlying that, advertising, is the assumption that you deserve that because you've earned it. Surely you've earned it. I mean, you've slaved through arduous work. You've overcome personal challenges. You've been doing this longer, harder, and more humbly (laughs) than anyone else. So you start to think, yes, I deserve. Satan actually used exactly that foundation in Matthew 4. Remember when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness after Jesus had gone 40 days and 40 nights without food. Satan began each temptation with, well, since you're the son of God, you deserve. You should use your position and your privilege for personal advantage. I mean, since you've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, you deserve to eat. Just command the rocks to become bread. And since you have to deal with these 12 deadbeat disciples every day, (laughs) you deserve to rule the kingdoms of the world. Each time Jesus rebuffed because he knew what God has already given. But underlying that assumption in our culture, we still build on the assumption that we deserve. Whether we're talking about political programs or if we're using conversational terms like equity vis-a-vis equality or even what we think we deserve in our home or our workplace or sometimes even our churches frankly Western civilization has a strong view of rights of fairness of entitlements steeped in what we believe we deserve based on what we believe we've earned and so what Jesus does in today's passage is rips the ground out from right underneath our feet in this parable in Matthew 20 verses 1 through 16 Jesus undercuts a common misunderstanding we have about God. If you were to take this sentence, God owes us, what would you fill in the blank? Do you know, a lot of people think there's a verse in the Bible that says God helps them who help themselves. That verse is not in the Bible. Benjamin Franklin took it from an English politician, but it is in American culture. And so we've started to think who we are in relationship to God is, but we need sometimes God to take out the ground from underneath our feet, as Jesus does in Matthew 21 through 16. This parable will tell us that God's kingdom values do not work according to human values of fairness and expectation. So let's look now verse by verse in Matthew 21 through 16. I now know that very few of you have the bulletin, so it may be harder to follow. But uh, do your best to, to follow along. I'll do my best to be clear. So Matthew 20, verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven. Very important. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of heaven, his entire public ministry. So this parable then is going to teach us about the kingdom of heaven. Here's how God's values work. Here's how God's economy works. Here's how God's sensibilities work. And it's not like ours. So the kingdom of heaven is like, and the word like lets you know it's about to be a parable. So the way God works is like this. It's like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Of course, the master would represent God, the laborers' people, that he's brought the vineyard, an area of cultivation in God's grace. So... Let's let Jesus explain the parable on his own without imposing our ideas in it. This is not a parable about uh, everybody having the same reality or necessarily about Gentiles or Jews. It's just a parable about how God's economy works to help us understand God's values. And so we have the first group in verse two. After agreeing with the laborers for denarius a day, which was the standard wage for daily work, the master sent them into his vineyard. Now, lest you think, the master's not been gracious. Remember a couple things. Whose vineyard is this? It is, it is the master's. Where were the laborers before he brought them in the vineyard? They were without, they were outside. Who went and got the laborers? The master. They didn't come to him. Verse 1 said he went out looking for them. So the master goes out and gets workers for his vineyard early in the morning, means 6 a.m. So this is the first group. A Jewish workday would be 12 hours, sun up to sun down. So at 6 a.m., the master brings in these first workers into the vineyard at his own cost, not of any obligation he had to them. Now the second group we'll read about here is in verse 3. And going out about the third hour, that's 9 a.m., he saw others standing idle. The Greek also could mean simply without work. So here are other people that also had nothing in the marketplace. Verse 4, and he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So he gets the first group at 6 a.m., they had nothing, he brings them in. He gets the second group at 9 a.m., they had nothing, he brings them in. But this group, instead of saying, I'll give you a denarius today, which would be the standard daily wage, he tells them, I'll give you what's right But surely they would have expected to be less than a denarius because that was the daily wage. So they're thinking, okay, great. I got in, I'll have less hours, but I'll get whatever he decides to give me. So now verse 5, we have group 3. So they went out, going again about the 6th hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. So now the master picks up a group at noon and 3 p.m. So if you're tracking, he got a group at 6 a.m., he got a group at 9 a.m., he got a group at noon, and now he's a group at 3 p.m., and he's doing the same routine with all of them. None of them had any work. None of them were in the vineyard. All of them were brought in totally by his cost, and all of them are now given the opportunity to cultivate in the vineyard with him. Verse 6, we read about group 4. And about the 11th hour, he went out. Now, eleventh hour means last minute. We're still used to that phrase, but in this case, it would mean 5 p.m. So the last hour of the workday. So he gets them at 5 p.m. with only one hour left in the workday. Notice he found he found them also standing in verse six and said to them, "Why do you stand here idle all day?" They also had no work; they had nothing, like everybody else. Verse seven, they said to him, "Because no one has hired us." But in grace, he said to them, "You go." into the vineyard too. So in every case, the master's gone out and found people who otherwise had nothing. In every case, he's brought them into his vineyard, which belongs to him. He's put up the capital. He's provided the cost. He's given them an opportunity that they otherwise would not have had. And in each case, they're expecting remuneration that he said is fair and right based on his prerogative. They would expect it to be less than a denarius. Only the first group would be expecting that. And now verse eight, and when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages. But notice this very carefully, beginning with the last up to the first. So he does a reverse roll call. Now, even a cursory read would help you know that last and first are the important theme in this passage. It's the phrase of chapter 19, verse 30, the last verse before chapter 20. It's the phrase in verse 8, and it's the phrase in verse 16. This entire passage is interwoven with this promise, last and first. So here comes a reverse roll call. He's paying them in the reverse order, starting with those who just came and working to those who've been there longer. Verse 9, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. They got a full day's wage, only though they've been only just one hour. Now, try to picture in your mind's eye the excitement that would have been brewing through the line at this point. If that first group that's only been there an hour got a full denarius, the further back you are in line, the more you're thinking, this guy's crazy. (laughs) He's giving people a full denarius for an hour. I can't wait till he gets to me because I'll probably get like four or five or six. You start imagining all the great things you're going to get. Verse 10. Now, when those hired first came, they thought, what I just said, I'm going to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. Verse 11, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last words only one hour. You've made them equal to us. Us who've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Notice their anger is directed at the master, even though as of this morning, they had nothing. Verse 13, but he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? And now notice verse 14 and 15 very carefully. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Notice he used the word give to describe what both of them got. Whether you were there an hour or whether you were there 12 hours, in both cases, you were given something that you otherwise would have never received and had no right to receive. So now verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? The master is saying two things. I have prerogative. Am I not allowed to choose? Am I not sovereign over this vineyard? Is it not my choice? And then the next phrase in verse 15. Or do you begrudge my generosity? Are you upset that I've chosen to be extra gracious to some? See, the the phrase actually in the Greek is really weird, and and Hunter is on vacation today, but he was with me in the office this week, and so he came in, and I was translating the Greek, and I asked him to help me, and we were working through it together, because actually what it says in the original is this, is your eye evil because I am generous? Uh, If you have a very literal translation, it probably translates it that way. They are literally giving him the evil eye. But because in English we don't understand that Jewish idiom, most of your translations say, do you begrudge? Are you envious? Are you jealous? But it's kind of like our English idiom, if looks could kill. (laughs) So they're looking at the master with hatred. This morning they had nothing, but now they hate the master because they don't have as much or more than others. So verse 16, so the last will be first and the first Last. Now, what was the point of this whole parable? It's so hard to hear. This is not the way we think in terms of fairness and equity. But what was Jesus trying to tell us? How did the parable begin? This is how the kingdom of heaven works. This is how God works. I can already draw some conclusions. God's kingdom operates according to his sovereign grace as he wills. And God's grace is not confined or conformed to human conceptions of fairness or rights. God designs actually to make many of the last first and the first last. See, the point of the parable is not that everyone in the kingdom will receive the same reward, but that any reward is because of God's sovereign grace. And that God in his grace is free to dispense his wealth as he sees But to help us understand a parable that seems so distant, let's think about it practically. How specifically is God gracious with some in an extra way that if we're not careful, might make us angry? First, let's think in the category of age. Isn't it true that God in his grace saves some people at the 11th hour? At the 11th hour, (laughs) the end of their life, God gloriously saves them. But there's a temptation for some of us, if we're not careful, to say, well, that's unfair. I wish I could have been saved at the 11th hour, because then I could have lived like the devil all the way up until then. Or I've heard Christians say, well, God, it's not fair that I was saved at the 11th hour. Had you saved me at the first or second hour, I could have really done more for you. Shouldn't the thought just be, I can't believe I'm saved, <laughs> rather than the 11th or the first hour? Or think about behavior Think about countless people that god gloriously saves that have lived terribly up until that point and how easy it can be for churchy people to be mad that god would be gracious with such a bad person can you imagine if you lived in jericho and the only room left is rahab's (laughs) i mean the whole city crumbles and god saves the prostitute surely other people were thinking well It should have been my house that stayed up, not Rahab's. Or think about what God did with Saul. That's the guy you used to build the New Testament church, the one that was killing us? Or the thief on the cross? Or the tax collectors? Or the 12 disciples? (laughs) Or nearly anybody in the New Testament? How easy it is for us to think, well, they don't deserve that level of grace. Why did they get so much more? Think of how easily we can do this about our location on a map. God, shouldn't you be invested in America? I mean, we've been doing this for hundreds of years. And yet, do you know what God's doing right now in 2021? Revival is sweeping across China. Revival is sweeping across North Africa. How dare you do that, Lord? We're the ones that have been laboring since 6 a.m. Should we not just rather say, praise God that he's given grace at the 11th hour? It's so easy to complain. Why is God giving extra grace to them when I've been the dutiful one who's been serving all morning? I think this question then gets underneath to our heart. And I think it has three questions that it answers. And each question I think has three answers to it. So if you're a note taker, that's nine things. (laughs) So three questions, each with three answers. Here's the first question. What does this passage teach us about God? Number one, it teaches that God is just with everyone. He gave them a denarius, right? Nobody got underpaid. God never treats anyone unfairly. No one could say God was not fair to me. But second, God actually is gracious to everyone. Everyone in the vineyard didn't deserve to be there. So the rain and the sun, it falls on all sorts of people. God gives grace to everyone. And yet God does give even more grace to some. Because the third thing it teaches us about God is God is free to sovereignly give his grace as he wills. God is free to sovereignly give his grace as he wills because he's God and it's his vineyard. And so he has the right to give it as he wishes. Those are the first three answers to the first question. Now the second question, what does this passage teach us about us? And I think there are three things it teaches us about us as humans. The first thing it teaches us is that humans tend to complain. Look in verse 10. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. Do you know one of the reasons we complain? We start to believe we actually deserve more than we really do. I deserve more, God. I deserve more. Look at what I've put in. Look at what I've done. I deserve more than you're giving me. And do you know that every time we complain, we might think we're complaining against someone in our family or someone in our workplace. No, we're always complaining ultimately against the master. Look in verse 11. On receiving it, they grumbled at the master. See, humans have a tendency when we complain to forget that we're actually complaining at our sovereign God, who ordains all things that come to pass. So first, it teaches us about us, that humans tend to complain. But second, it teaches us humans tend to compare ourself against other humans. Look in verse 12. These last words only one hour, and yet you have made them equal to us. One of the key things that fuels our complaining is the sin of comparison. I heard a great story years ago about an eagle that was so mad that there was this other eagle that was able to fly higher than him. And so the eagle went to an archer and said, I need you to at least clip that other eagle so that he doesn't fly any higher than me. And the archer said, sure, I have bow and I have arrows, but I don't have feathers for my arrows. Can I just borrow a feather? And so he borrowed the eagle's feather, shot at the other eagle, but he missed him. Can I have another feather? All right, fine. Takes another feather, shoots again. He missed the next 30. And the eagle kept plucking off all of his own feathers. And that's how the sin of comparison works. How dare you compare them to us? Don't you see that once you make that comparison, the only person you hurt is yourself? Notice they try to make their argument. And when they get upset, they get upset together. Have you noticed that misery loves company? (laughs) You'll have to forgive me because I'm from Detroit. And so when I read this passage, I thought of the United Autos workers, the UAW. And I figured, you know what? They must have unionized. They had a 6 a.m. union. They had a 9 a.m. union. They had a noon union. They had a 3 p.m. union. And the only group they all hated was the 5 p.m. people. How dare those 11th hour people get the same thing we did. Let's unionize and we'll all complain together. And that's how humans still work. We find someone else who also is bitter and then we link arms with them. And then we both complain and then we justify ourselves. See, they think the same thing too. Now, I normally don't alliterate, but I did today. Humans tend to complain. Humans tend to compare. But here's the third thing. Humans tend to confuse. We expect God to act like us. Was that not the whole point of the parable? Verse 1, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's not what you're like. This is what God is like. Verse 14, doesn't the master get to say, I choose to give? Verse 15, am I not allowed to do what I choose with, with, with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Do you give me the evil eye? If we're honest, the reason this text is hard for us is because we're not like this. We're tight-fisted with other people until we think they've earned it. No, I'll give you more, but you have to earn it first. I'll be gracious to you, but you have to merit it first. See, God, praise God, is not like us. He gives the 11th hour people grace because he chooses to. They haven't earned anything. He just chooses to be gracious. So what does it tell us about the kingdom of heaven first Again, it tells us that God's kingdom values operate according to his sovereign grace as he wills. Second, again, it means that God's kingdom values are not like our human values. Third, God designs to make many of the last first and many of the first last. See, the very action of the landowner to employ anybody was grace. The action of the landowner to bring anyone into the vineyard was mercy. And with some he gave even more grace. So why would we complain that he's given even more? Now I know I just gave you nine answers to three questions, so there's a lot of points today, but I have eight (laughs) eight closing biblical principles. And these are sweeping principles throughout all the Bible. Here's the first one. Every reward is an undeserved gift of God's grace. Every reward is an undeserved gift of God's grace. It's so easy to start to think, well, Lord, I've been serving for a while. I've been faithful for a while. I've been doing really important stuff. So surely you're going to give me extra now. No, God just crowns his own gifts, as Augustine said. And everything we have is a gift we don't deserve. If you want a really cold ice bucket of truth this afternoon, read Luke 17:7 7 through 10. I'll read it for you now. Jesus said, will any of you say to a servant plowing or keeping sheep when he's coming from the field, hey, come and recline at the table? Won't you rather say to him, prepare supper for me? Verse 9, do you thank the servant because he did what you commanded him to do? Verse 10, so you also, when you've done what you were commanded to do, should simply say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty." See, if we are actually only unworthy servants, how could we ever complain that God has not given us more when we stand as creatures obligated to a good creator? So number one, all of God's rewards are simply gifts of grace. But now number two, God determines his grace, not us. God determines his grace, not us. They're so mad that God gave more to some. But Romans 9, 14 says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he himself said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Did you know that there are things that you look at and think, you know, this person really deserves this. God does not always honor or value the way we honor or value, because he knows more than we do. And there are people on the flip side that we overlook. We overlook. And God doesn't overlook. God determines his grace. Number three, God gifts individuals unequally. So the next time you're having a political discussion on equity versus equality, remember 1 Peter 4.10, which tells us God gifts us with varied grace. Or 1 Corinthians 12.11, that says, The Spirit apportions to each one individually as he wills. What we read in 1 Peter 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 is that God gives every person a spiritual gift, but he does not give us all the same gift or the same amount of gifts or the same measure of gifts. He makes that choice sovereignly. So why can an eye complain that they're not a foot? Or why can a toe complain they're not the nose? Or why can the ear complain that it's not the hand? It shouldn't. God decided what we all are. God gifts everyone with more good than we deserve. And he chooses to do so as he will. That means, number four, that if we serve in a territorial, self-focused way, we are serving sinfully. See, the early group thinks that God owes them. Look carefully in verse 12 again, would you please? Notice why they think God owes them. They use something that we commonly do if we're not careful. They complain that because they've endured hardship, Surely they deserve more grace. Verse 12, we have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. You see, because my life's been extra hard, surely I deserve more. Do you know, if you think that way, you think that God works on merit. God actually works on mercy. See, God does not accept us because of anything we do. God accepts us because of what Jesus did. So we don't actually come to God saying, well, God, see, look, I've been so faithful in this area. Therefore, I deserve more from you. Then you still think it happens by merit. It actually happens by mercy. And I should tell you, because I've seen this happen in churches very often. If you work in your corner of the vineyard to satisfy your own sense of self, it will be shattered. The 6 a.m. group and the 9 a.m. group that's thinking, well, this is my territory of the vineyard. This is my time, and this is the reason God thinks highly of me, because I'm so good at this corner of the kingdom. No, God receives you because of his son, not because of your service. Number five, so on the flip side, don't be discouraged if you fear your contribution is small. Maybe you have been saved at the 11th hour, but rather than saying, oh, I've missed my whole life, you should be saying, I still have an hour. (laughs) I get to use an hour. That's awesome. Number six, don't feel bitter if you think your time served is overlooked. I think a passage every Christian should memorize is 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7. Who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, Why do you boast as if you did not receive it? If everything good I have is a gift of grace, then how could I complain that I've been overlooked? John Piper has really helped me. In a passage of a book he wrote, the title of the chapter is called The Debtor's Ethic. In it, he explains that immature and young Christians are often confused into thinking that life is about paying back God. And the idea is, I know I could never fully pay him back, but but let me try to, with small down payments, try to pay God a little bit back for all the good he's done for me. Piper concludes this. Every good deed we do in dependence on God does just the opposite of paying him back. It puts us ever deeper into debt in his grace. Good deeds do not pay back grace. They borrow more grace So why would we think like, okay, God, I know you did a lot for me, but now I'm going to do a little bit for you, and at some point we'll be kind of sort of square. No, God's given us everything, including the gifts of service that we can now use. Number seven, we should rejoice that the merit is not our own. There's an old hymn I like, I don't know if you guys know it. It's called, My Hope is in the Lord. Verse two says this, No merit of my own, his anger to suppress. My only hope is found in Jesus' righteousness. See, we don't have any merit of our own. But that's great news. Because Romans 5 says in verse 6, when we were without strength, when we were ungodly. Verse 8 says, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God for merit that is not of our own. Number eight. This is the most important one. Chapter 19, verse 30, many who are first will be last. Chapter 20, verse 8, the last shall be first. Chapter 20, verse 16, many who are first will be last, and the last first. So what do we need to do with that? Here it is, number eight. Never worry about whether or not you're the first or the last. Rejoice that you received any grace at all. Many people think that when we get to heaven, we're going to be thinking, I can't believe that guy made it. I can't believe those people who I thought were going to be here are not here. Do you know the only thing any of us are going to think when we get to heaven? I can't believe I'm here. See, everybody in the vineyard should have been thinking, I can't believe I'm here whether it was 6 a.m. or 9 a.m. or noon or 3 p.m. or the 11th hour, I can't believe I'm here. But instead, they started to think, you know what? I deserve. I deserve. I deserve. The next time you think, I deserve, quote to yourself Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what I deserve. But the gift of God The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, there actually is an injustice that happens in the book of Matthew. But it's not in Matthew 20. It's several chapters later when the eternal Son of God stands on trial by the humans he created. And rather than defending himself, he allows himself to be mocked and stripped and beaten. And you know what he never says? I deserve. This is unfair. This is unjust. I shouldn't be here. They should be here. No, instead, he takes what we actually deserve on his body. And the one who doesn't deserve it bears it so that we don't have to. See, the Master brings us into the vineyard by the merit of the death of his son. That was the cost that any of them would be working in the vineyard at all. And yet they're complaining that God didn't treat them with as much grace as he did with those at the end of the day. May God rescue us from a similar self-centered sinfulness. Let's pray this morning. God, remind us that none of us deserve to be laborers in the vineyard. None of us. But we rejoice Lord that Jesus Christ, the only one worthy of all worship and honor and glory and power gave all of it up and bore our sin, our wages in his body when he died on the cross. And rather than complaining that it's not fair, he was like a lamb led to the slaughter that is silent. And Lord, we like sheep have gone astray But on him, our iniquity was laid. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus didn't just die for us. He rose victoriously. And that means that if we say, God, forgive me for my sin, I believe in Jesus that we get to join the vineyard and we get to serve. But some of us who've been serving since 6 a.m. are starting to complain. How dare I not get more? I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing this in the heat of the day. Don't you know how important I am? Bring us back to the cross, God, and remind us where we would be other than the blood of Jesus. And then help us to serve with joy. Thank you, Lord, that you've been so gracious that I get to serve in the vineyard. And however many hours we have left, help us to use them for the joy of the master and to not grumble against him. Help the kind of relationships we make not to be company of misery, but instead relationships of joy. And may they waft with gratitude to the person who's given so much so that we could serve with him. In Christ I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, Go to com. That's E-B-C-R-A-L-E-I-G-H dot com.